0: this national feeling is good but it won't count for much and it won't last unless it's grounded in thoughtfulness and knowledge an informed patriotism is what we want and are we doing a good enough job teaching our children what america is and what she represents in the long history of the world those of us who are over 35 or so years of age grew up in a different america we were taught very directly what it means to be an american and we absorbed almost in the air a love of country and an appreciation of its institutions. If you didn't get these things from your family, you got them from the neighborhood, from the father down the street who fought in Korea, or the family who lost someone at Anzio. Or you could get a sense of patriotism from school. And if all else failed, you could get a sense of patriotism from the popular culture. The movies celebrated democratic values and implicitly reinforced the idea that America was special. TV was like that, too, through the mid-60s. But now we're about to enter the 90s, and some things have changed. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, well-grounded patriotism is no longer the style. Our spirit is back, but we haven't re-institutionalized it. We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare. It's fragile. It needs production. So we've got to teach history based not on what's in fashion, but what's important. Why the Pilgrims came, who Jimmy Doolittle was, and what those 30 seconds over Tokyo meant. You know, four years ago on the 40th anniversary of D-Day, I read a letter from a young woman writing to her late father who had fought on Omaha Beach. Her name was Lisa Zanatta Hen, and she said, we will always remember, we will never forget what the boys of Normandy did. Well, let's help her keep her work. If we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. I'm warning of an eradication of that, of the American memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the American spirit. Let's start with some basics. More attention to American history and a greater emphasis on civic ritual. And let me offer lesson number one about America. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. So tonight in the kitchen, I hope the talking begins. And children, if your parents hadn't been teaching you what it means to be an American, let them know and name them up. That would be a very American thing to do.
1: to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. On with me, co-hosting, is Chantel Taylor. Chantel is a British Army combat medic and the author of a book called Battle Worn. Chantel, how's it going?
2: It's good, John. Nice to to be on again.
1: For sure. All right. So today's Tuesday, election day. Um, You know, after two years of madness, you know, the day has arrived. Um... You know, obviously people are, you know, I haven't seen too many people who are kind of, like, in the middle. You know, everyone's either, like, hardcore Hillary or hardcore Trump. Um, you know, my my whole thing is, you know, regardless of whoever wins, I, I do hope that they do the right thing and, and lead the country in a, a better direction. Um, but, you know, it, it's a kind of important vote I, I know in the UK you, you guys recently had a, a big event happening in terms of the the Brexit situation and um
2: yeah we did and that's yeah. the thing John you know nothing I think that the world that we live in and every you know we know this this is the price of what of I don't know, we call it freedom democracy whatever we call it is there are difficult choices to be made and there's always going to be you know difficult difficult roads ahead and The U.S. is a really, really strong nation, you know, and I've said before, you know, it's it's down to the people. It's not, you know, the politicians can do so much, but the character of a country comes from the people that are in that country. And regardless of who wins it, I'm not a fan of either, but regardless of who wins it, the country will still move forward. You know, it has to. You can't can't stop. Like, we had this crazy, you know, people were falling out. People were going nuts about this Brexit stuff. I was pro-Leave because I do... You know, we we survived before the EU, and with the, obviously the things that are going on there, it do, it makes sense that we I want to be governed by my own country, not by someone you know further away. But that's but I don't I'm not going to crucify people that voted to stay. But I, I think when decisions are made, they need to be respected, and we you know you move forward as a civil society. And then there are plenty. I mean, I've noticed of late there are plenty of people in the US, and I mean in the in the kind of um, in the arena where they could potentially be president and you've got some really good people. And I only wish that those people had come forward before, but Hey, we're, we're at this point and I just hope that whatever, whatever happens, we just, you've got to crack on.
1: Right. Right. And, and you know, hopefully people kind of keep it together and um,
2: people will lose it because they always do <laughs> people, right. you know, and that's just, but obviously you, you want them to kind of semi lose it, lose it, kick off. And then just calm, you know,
1: right
2: come back down yeah then. yeah exactly that's it's good to have those sort of heightened emotions but i wouldn't like to see like craziness where it just it just gets out of control and then no one needs that shit unless you know and that leads us on to the you know the people that we've lost overseas of late you know you look at that's what's important
1: you know right.
2: looking and, after our own yeah
1: right and at the end of the day you know regardless of who's the president you know, soldiers, Marines, sailors, uh, airmen, they still do the job and, and that's yeah. what's important, you know. And 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 to be totally honest, for me, the only, you know, group or nation or people that would benefit from a, a huge rift in the, in the American society would not be Americans. You know, it would yeah. be someone with a special interest like the Russians or the Chinese. Yeah, for um, sure.
2: Yeah, that, And that's the thing, you don't want to gift those people. Um, success. You know, you don't want to gift anyone. You know, the the right to kind of look. Oh, look, they're just. We don't need to do anything because they're unraveling themselves. And that's right. that's not that's not, in my opinion, from the you know my my American friends that I count as family. You know, that's not who you are. You know, it's. I don't want to see that happen. And you know, people are they're they're bright people. So let's hope that it's um, whatever happens, we just move forward. And at the end of the day, like you said, the. The military will still function, and they're not there to defend the president. You know, that's, although, that's, although you have a commander-in-chief, we all know, everyone knows the score. You know why you're on the ground. You know who you're defending.
1: Right. It's, it's not, you know, everything that's happened, and people need to understand this in, in its entirety— to have the best picture that you can of what's happening is everything that's going on now is really a culmination of, you know, the past 50 years, 60 years. This isn't just one president destroyed the economy. No, uh, several presidents contributed to the economy getting destroyed. And then it'll take several presidents to fix it. And you yeah. know, all, all the kind of tensions, you know, like the racial tensions and, and whatever the fuck is going on isn't, you know, you can't lay the blame at one person's. No, not at all.
2: No, and that, and that's the thing is people get really frustrated. And, you know, I always think, like, if you look at the, your Second Amendment and stuff, take, taking your weapons off you would be as crazy as giving them to us because we haven't had them. So there's no and – and I understand, you know, gun control – I just if, – if, if someone sort of believes that that would ever actually happen in a country that was kind of built on those values – it's not going to happen,
0: right. you know.
2: And then you know, and, and worry about it if it does happen. Because I think what social media has done, and God, I'd be pissed as well. If if I had like an arsenal of weapons, I'd want to keep them. And you know, you see, social media just hounds everyone. They they these sort of strange, um, almost made up, um, like fabricated. I'm trying to think what they're called, you know, reports and things like that. Yeah. And then – and you do – I've been guilty of it. I've read something. I thought, fucking hell, look at that. And then I've looked at the date, and it's like three years ago, and it's fake.
0: Yeah.
2: And then I'm like, shit, did anyone see me post that quick delete? You know, because that's – because you don't – sometimes you just – you're caught off guard, and it does happen. But then the problem with those sorts of articles is by the time you've got them, three million people, 30 million people have read them and are kicking off. It, and right. I, I say this about it, and Facebook is terrible for it. You can wake up in the morning really happy, go do your fizz, do whatever you're doing, get yourself on Facebook, and it ruins your day.
1: Right, just right. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, people, they it's like they play on, on people's emotions, you know, like. Absolutely. You know, whether it's news, anchors, um, reporters, or people who kind of do video blogs or whatever, like people yeah, really sure. like.
2: Everyone yeah. wants to be famous, and, yeah, you know, it and it's almost like, oh, this is controversial. Let me just fucking shout this out. And then right. they don't. I, I always look at the ripple effect and I think, you know, what's the ripple effect of your shit report? Oh, right. Ten people just got murdered. Do you know? Do you know? And they don't they don't see it. All they see is I'm going to be a bit inflammatory. I'm going to say this and I'm going right. to sound like I care about things, but I don't really give a shit. I'm just saying it for my own benefit. And it pisses
1: me off. Right and and you know and I, I think there's a little too much of that and yeah. and, and that's kind of the double edged sword of the internet you know like it's good in in many ways but it's it's also has its uh drawbacks you know so Yeah um
2: you know, says so so, us as we do a podcast Yeah exactly yeah <laughs> fuck the internet you
1: know um, So you know with that being said now uh, in the last uh couple of days uh U.S. Army Special Forces Green Berets were hit very hard. Uh, there were six deaths in three days. Um, you know, anyone who's listening, I'm sure you're familiar with the Green Berets. And, you know, they're an elite, unconventional warfare, uh, American fighting unit. And they really have a, a wide range of responsibilities uh, that they uh, are, handle and different mission sets. They're, they're kind of unique even amongst the soft community. And uh, they, they really work, you know, globally, just like other soft unions do. But they really took a, a hard hit this week. Um,
2: yeah, that's you know, extremely that's extremely sad, you know. And yeah. I think, and I, I hate again, we've got to a point where that's that's six six men, right? And the, the ripple effect of those warriors, you know, through their families, through their friends, through their networks, it you know, it just it's a really, really sad time. And if, if it one thing, it shows the tempo of operations hasn't calmed. You know, we've all, if you look at when people pulled out of Afghanistan or sort of not pulled out, you know, when they kind of rescaled back, troops have been scaled back, you know, operations have kind of, they're saying have changed. Um, well, six warriors lost says to me that the tempo has not changed that significantly. And yeah, it's, it's extremely sad. And, you know, for myself, I think it's condolences to family members and friends of those guys.
1: Right. And, you know, I, I know some people who are, who are friends with some of these guys and, you know, it's it's hitting them very hard. And, um, you know, it's, it's a tragic loss for the country. And so pretty much just to give a, a quick breakdown of what happened, it was three separate incidents between Wednesday and Friday of last week. Um, two other soldiers were killed in Afghanistan in a firefight. Three were killed while they were entering a Jordanian military base. And another soldier was killed in a, a dive training accident uh, at the Special Forces Dive School down in Florida. So, you know, three different incidents. You know, it, it wasn't like, you know, a helicopter got shot down, a bunch of, you know, they were on the same yeah. helicopter. It was like three separate incidents, and it's really unfortunate.
2: And even like, um, and, it, and it shows actually, it's a, it's a point. It's, it's worthy of pointing out that, training you know training accidents are sometimes the worst type because you think these guys are going through this and you know i'm a dive right. medic so i know that when there's a diving accident if it's if it's below surface it's you it, it can be quite ca- catastrophic quite quickly yeah and and to think that if the guy was training in the cycle a, a, a training cycle and he's already been on operations but if this guy you know is training to go to war that's it's just extremely sad you know
1: right and and you know it, it just kind of Shows you the nature of the job. Yeah,
2: how dangerous it is. If you can die in training, it shows you how. It it almost shows you how train. Yeah, that's my point. If you can die in training, then it shows you how bad it gets when you actually go and deploy. That's how hard these guys are training. So it's um yeah it's a real. It's been a tough week, and it's going to get even tougher, obviously, when this um with this presidential race. Which actually, if, if you look at it, if if you sort of weigh those things up, that pales into insignificance with the loss of life. You know, it's almost like yeah. Trump who, Hillary who, no one cares.
1: Because right, that's like that's real, what's important. Yeah, what's important to us. Right, like real, real American patriots are yeah. like, getting killed and, you know, serving the country. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I hope that regardless of what happens by the end of the night, um, people remember, you know... What these men stood for, and, and what we stand for, and what what the country and what our our history is, you know, because yeah, like you said before, a president doesn't define a nation or, or a people, you know. So no,
2: they don't, and that's in yeah, exactly that, and that's hope that that's the way way it goes, John.
1: Right. So um, we had a conversation uh with Donald Lee and Griff Griffin from Combat Flip Flops uh two former ranger guy uh, army ranger guys who uh served in Iraq Afghanistan and they have a really cool company that creates flip-flops and some other garments and stuff but what's unique is that they they're produced globally like in in countries that are war torn that you wouldn't even think that you know uh, uh you know high quality products are being produced by hand so it's it's really cool stuff and um you know Now I will get into the conversation that we had with Donald and Griff from Combat Flip-Flops. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, On for this podcast, Uh, we have two gentlemen from Combat Flip-Flops. That's Griff Griffin and Donald Lee. Uh, Co-hosting with me is Chantel Taylor. How's it going?
3: Hello, how are you? Uh Stoked to be here.
0: Hey,
1: Jill. All right. Oh. So um you know bef- obviously we're going to talk about your company combat flip flops um uh, but before we get into that um uh, can we talk a little bit about your personal backgrounds um whichever you guys want to go first and uh and can we talk like pre pre army and then co- what kind of motivated you to join the army?
3: Yeah, Lee, you want to go up or you want me to take this one? Uh, I'll
4: go first. I don't care. Uh so uh pre army I Went to school for design, got a degree in graphic design, uh, worked in the internet, the internet industry for a little while. Um, after 9-11, uh, Army was, was something I wanted to do as I was growing up, and 9-11 was the perfect excuse for me to, to get out and join the military. Um, enlisted in the U.S. Army, the day the recruiting offices opened after 9-11, uh, signed up with a Option 40 Ranger contract, and I flew out January 8th of 2002 and the rest is I guess kind of (laughs) history
1: now I I know both you guys served together in range of Italian right we did yeah
3: so uh so that's I'll I'll give you the kind of the intersecting story here if we're going to do a Quentin Tarantino like plot intersection is uh (laughs) I uh I, I'm from Iowa originally I'm one of those officer pukes and I'm even worse I went to West Point so I, <laughs> I, uh, I started in 1997 at the academy and I'm a 2001 grad uh, so the 9-11 class I uh, commissioned into the artillery uh, just because I wanted to uh, you know I wanted to make big things go boom and I thought it was a really fun career and I'm good at math uh, so I went um, officer basic through ranger school through my first conventional unit and all the entire way I had the desire to be a, a fire support officer for a ranger battalion and luckily I ended up in a, in a team room with Donald Lee at ACO 275 in August of, or July of 2003 so that's where we met so I was the the new lieutenant with a, a tab and no combat patch walking back into a team room full of rangers who'd just gotten back from the initial invasion of Iraq and they were all scrolls and stereo so it was a it's quite an interesting
1: environment. Yeah. Uh, so you guys, um, now your, your your rotations were into Iraq only, or did you also go to Afghanistan?
3: So our first rotation together was Operation Winter Strike in in November 2003. So it's where they asked us to go up into the high altitude villages in Afghanistan, past the Korongal Valley, and go get uh, al-Qaeda fighters who were, you know, hanging out with the honey over the winter and not really planning on coming out to fight till till the spring till the fighting season. So we went out there and got them as a really intensive deployment, uh, for both Lee and I. So, and then we, uh, we did another one to Afghanistan that following spring of 2004. Uh, and then I did another one that summer to Afghanistan of 2004. And then I did Iraq in 2005. And so between the two of us, we have seven total tours.
1: Okay. And, um, so Chantel, what what year was it that you went to Afghanistan? That was later on, right?
2: Yeah, I um I didn't go during the initial phases, which was predominantly for for our guys was um, up north. I, I went into the first tour of Helmand in two thousand and six, mm-hmm. and and then again in two thousand and eight. But just to go back to what you guys were saying, it's really um, it's interesting how you you know you your tours just bounce along so quickly, and I know guys that you know from my um, neck of the woods that they they. Generally, we'll go with their brigade and then potentially get attached to another brigade. But a brigade usually gets a little bit of um, time to sort of uh, regroup, if if you like, and, and kind of go back into a training cycle before deploying. But it's it's amazing that you deployed like so often in such a short space of time. It's crazy, really.
3: Yeah, and then when we're home, we, we train up as well, so we still have all the same requirements of yeah. a ranger ranger company, ranger battalion. And they, they deployed us in either platoon or company size. Um, but our, our deployments are typically more intensive where you're rolling out on missions, you know, one to two missions a night, uh, for, you know, 30 to 45 days in search of high value targets. And so they're, they, they try not to burn you out over, uh, you know, past six months of doing that. And you know, yeah. they, you need to come home and recoup.
2: Yeah. Cause I suppose with your, your role, what, how it sort of, you, you, you were no longer, you're not conventional troops. So you, and obviously that's, it's, it's an interesting point actually, because, um, I spoke to guys on our sort of SF cycles and they say their their work as as intense as it is, you know, and then you see the sort of conventional troops that are stuck in the same fob for months at a time. It's it's all, it's all relative, isn't it? So it's, it's all tough, but it's just different sort of, you've got different tasks, but all the, the same aim at the end of the day.
4: That, that's kind of an interesting point about the, uh, about the conventional troops being stuck in a fob for a long time. I remember uh, on our, I think, I think it was our, our last, maybe our last deployment, we got to, uh, we were at, we stopped for a rest over day at, a fo- at FOB Salerno, I believe. And there was, yeah. uh, there was just guys in there with, with fully, fully built out hooches with, you know, Xbox
3: and big screens in them. <laughs> <But> like, <laughs> they literally had lawns in front of their, you know, yeah. lawns and in, in front of their hooches.
2: Yeah. Don't say that. Don't say that on the podcast. Keep the mystery.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that
4: my mind. Um, stuff
1: all right so you you guys you know uh, you guys met in 03 right and then you guys got out pretty much around the same time period
3: we did um i had uh, i think i had about six or seven months more on my commitment uh, to get out and you know after four tours uh you know lee had just had his second child uh, i had had just had my second child married you know wives who were you know, they you know, they would like to see their husbands every now and then. You know, so we uh we made how selfish it selfish of them. How selfish <laughs> of them, yeah. And you know, at the same time I think both Lee and I saw that the cycle wasn't really slowing down. And, you know, we both got out. Lee went back to LA to do computer work. I had to get out and unplug for a little bit. I built homes. Uh but you know, we stayed in touch at least once a week throughout the years and And it just kind of ended up paying off because we're always talking about starting a small business together or some other dumb idea. And uh, lo and behold, you know, we ended up in our current adventure.
1: Yeah, so Combat Flip Flops is, you know, I've been following you guys for a while. I've been aware of your company for a while. And um, it's interesting. My brother goes, uh, my older brother, I think you guys were on Shark Tank at, at some point. We were. Yeah. So he, he goes, Hey, yo, I just saw that I was just watching Shark Tank and I saw this really cool company on there called Combat, uh, flip flops. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar somewhat with the company. And then he, he had, he ordered a pair and I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. So he, you know, he's talking to me about how cool it is. And, um, and then that kind of got me thinking like, Hey, you know, maybe I should get in contact with these guys. Um, so your, your company, you guys kind of do an interesting, um, Got an interesting operation going over there. Can you talk a little bit about how you started and then where you're at now?
3: Lee, you want to go?
4: Yeah, um, I think it was, what, it was four years ago, four and a half years ago. Um, for me, it, it started with with a late night phone call from Griff. Um, you know, there's a little bit more to the story, uh, you know, fr- from Griff's side, but um, for me, it, it was, you know, it started with a late night phone call from from my ranger buddy saying hey dude we're gonna make flip-flops in afghanistan like get ready we're gonna do it you know go register the domain and you know it's 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 two three in the morning in la and and i'm like all right bro i got you let me you know good ranger buddy like i got you let's do this right um so so then uh you know i registered the domain and Griff. you know again from my point of view griff is is out doing what he's doing and you know i didn't hear anything for maybe one or two months until until he got back and uh you want you want to do the the tarantino thing again griff connect the dots
3: yeah uh (laughs) so i'd gotten out and you know I, i wanted to get as far away from the military as possible so i built i built houses for a few years and then uh the housing market tanked in 2008 and i took a job with a medical company that was doing remote medicine in difficult environments and this is right as the contracting boom was taken off in 2008 in Afghanistan and the contractors needed doctors and medics and clinics and gear and country uh, so they started buying stuff from my company and there was a you know call that came in and said hey we need somebody to go to Afghanistan and all the northwest hippies were looking around and I you know they didn't raise their hand and everybody was kind of staring at me and I had uh, I was the only guy who had actually been to Afghanistan so I said yeah sure I'll go um and when I got there, in, in addition to some of the other developing nations I was traveling around to, I was witnessing entrepreneurs who were the real guys who were making the difference. And I, I could see it in Afghanistan for my first trip and the next trip and the trip after that. It was, you know, the guy in the corner selling the little Roshan, you know, calling cards. The next thing you know, yeah. he had a cart with cell phones on it. And next thing you know, next trip you go back, he's got a store on that corner. And next trip you go back, he's got a store and a billboard and the street keeps getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. And you go talk to the security guys and you say "Hey, is there anything happening on this street and they go no there's too much commerce and business going on there they don't let anything happen on those streets right so like the thought kept occurring to me is well why aren't we just investing in that guy why aren't we you know why aren't we helping out entrepreneurs in these areas because they'll watch their own corners so we don't have to seems like a really inexpensive and cheap idea to me Um, and long story short i ended up in a combat boot factory in Kabul. And probably because the most of your listeners can appreciate this, um, Afghans are not used to wearing shoes with laces. <laughs> They're just not, right? And you have to, they have got to pray five times a day, right? So they take their shoes on and off five times a day. And, and here we go. We build this army, right? The 170,000-person army. And we're putting them in combat boots. It's the first time they've ever worn boots and had to tie shoe laces. And then they have to pray five times a day. Like, it was seriously taking hours out of the training calendar to adhere to the laws of Islam just because of combat boots and shoelaces. So this factory in Kabul said, hey, we'll we'll make a combat flip-flop, something that's kind of military-looking, but you can wear in garrison, so that way you're not losing training hours. And I saw it in this factory, and I go, man, that's cool as shit. We should make those and sell them to Americans. They'd buy that. (laughs) And that was it. That's how it started. Um, our goal was to keep a combat boot factory in Afghanistan going by making cool flip-flops. And is, it still,
2: is that still going there? That's, a, that's amazing if it is. The, mm-hmm. the factory out there.
3: It is not. So uh, oh. we can continue this, this roller coaster. So we came back with this idea, we put some work into it. We sold everything we owned, made a whole bunch of prototypes, threw them in a duffel bag and went to SHOT Show in Las Vegas. And we yeah. started showing them to some people. And Lee built a website overnight. And out of the gate, we sold like a couple thousand pair. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy.
2: Yeah, that's really cool.
3: Um, and then Obama announced the end of the Afghan war, right? So all of our contracts to our boot factories got cut. So all the burden of the overhead fell on us. Um, there was a cross border shooting with Pakistan. So the Pakistan border got shut down for half of 2012. (laughs) So our logistical route into country got cut off. Um, yeah, you know, just a whole bunch of debacles, and ended up we ended up making our first four thousand pair in my garage in Issaquah, um, just to fulfill orders to customers. Jesus. Yeah. And that, 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 <laughs>
2: that kind of shows you as well, and just on a sort of side note, that the dramas that war you know causes to that that small economy that you were building, and then you sort of times that by a million, and you can see how things just go to shit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, and I was always amazed going back to your the mobile phone thing, of you'd go around Afghanistan. It was like the everyone knows it's like being back in biblical times, but everyone's got a mobile phone. And it's like, well, I never really sort of understood how how you that kind live. of yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Got,
4: Griff gets internet issues once in a while, so you guys still hear me?
2: Yeah, I can hear you.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah,
2: it's just interesting how. Um, how they sort of carry on with these sort of the, the technology carries on. Are you, are you there?
3: I'm there. I lost you a couple of times <laughs> <the> cell
2: phone. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorry, I was going down a rabbit war. We'll just sack it there. You get you get what I'm saying about it's it's interesting, isn't it? How the economy just is, is sort of fucked, and then they have to start rebuilding again. But um, so yeah, where so you you guys are now producing in the states?
3: So we uh, we we took all of our lessons learned and we said, all right, hey, we need to produce products in country that are vertically integrated. So if we can't make a product within, you know, from fiber to finished good within the borders of a country, we won't make it. Um, so we we went to Colombia because Colombia is another narco-financed um, insurgent country, right? <laughs> and just the, the, the war on drugs. We spend thirty billion dollars a year as a country in Colombia, you know, fighting the war on drugs, and so the they actually executed a pretty good plan uh, between 2005 to right now to you know, take out the terrorist organizations, give amnesty to the fighters, good public-private policy backed by a free trade agreement, and it's turning the country around. This year, they're ending, I think it's the longest conflict in history, is the, 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 the battle between the FARC and the Colombian government. They're literally signing the peace treaties
1: this year. Yeah. I, I think, I think they had an issue with that though, with the peace shooting. Yeah,
4: yeah. I think they did have an issue with it. They, uh, um, it didn't pass the bill didn't pass or whatever
3: they, they call it in Colombia. They, yeah, it's, it's the first go round, but they're having the talks and something right, they weren't right. doing last year. Right. I mean, there's, are still at it. It's just, they didn't like the terms of it, but in the end, like it's working, they're making forward progress, which is kind of the example of saying what we should be doing in Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then we, we went back to Afghanistan. We found a woman-owned factory making textiles and kids there. Found some guys making some cashmere, started making some product. Went to Laos. Um, we also we didn't go to Laos. We work with a company that's in Laos. They're making jewelry out of unexploded ordnance or cluster munitions that fell during the Vietnam War. And then um, we started making stuff right here at home in Washington State with some other tactical manufacturers who were needing work during the sequestration. And so we make products in four countries right
1: now. Wow. that's awesome yeah man. thank you yeah that's that pretty cool <laughs> yeah that's like you know um and it's interesting in in laos i know they have a huge oh. issue at least for the the population there with um with dealing with these unexploded ordnance. and um i know there's like a lot of organizations that go actually go into laos and and, and really countries that are similar to Laos, like Afghanistan, where there are so many landmines and um, unexploded uh, bombs, you know, were dropped drop from planes and uh, like, you know, mm-hmm. villagers and stuff like that. They're, they're doing their, their daily routine and and people are stepping on mines. And it's really a big problem for, for places that are similar to that, you know. Yeah,
3: they say what, uh, there was 250 to 280 million landmines dropped on Laos during the Vietnam War. So that's uh, an equivalent of a B fifty T load every eight minutes for nine years. Wow! Over twenty five percent of the villages are affected by cluster munitions that the U.S. government dropped fifty years ago, and over half the victims are kids.
1: Yeah, I, I saw it's it. Uh, yeah, I was watching a like a short uh, a short version of a documentary uh, about that, and it was crazy. Like so many like. Um I forget exactly which organization it was, but uh, they were going in there and and helping to, uh, like, render these mines safe or these unexploded munitions. And then another company was in there um, helping these people create, uh, like, prosthetics and stuff like that. And uh, it's really crazy to watch how something that happened so long ago can really affect them now, you know.
3: I mean, I think all of us saw it. If you've been to Afghanistan, we saw those mountains, you're bordered by the white rocks. Yeah. From all the stuff that the Russians dropped like those beautiful mountains are not going to be, you know, hikeable ever.
2: Uh, and, then, <laughs> and that's that's really sad because it's um, you know, they say that if, if Afghanistan had sorted itself out, you you've got the, the sort of the ski runs that they would have, you know, and even with when on the economy side, for instance, if if you take away their main the what their GDP profit and, and the production of opium is massive. But if you take that away, you need to replace it with something. You can't just say, right, we're going to stop you growing all that shit and then we're going to give you nothing back. You know, that's a a lot of what I sort of talk about is um, I'm, you know, I was completely happy to serve there, but I like to see, you want to see sort of something come to fruition. You want to see that you don't just leave and nothing's changed. You know, And it it felt a little bit like that when I left Afghanistan in, in, I don't know, 2011. It, it was still the same old shit, you know? So, but to, to see that you've sort of given back and gone into those communities, that's, that's pretty outstanding actually.
3: Well, thank you very much.
1: <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, yeah. um, so Santel, you were, um, so, you know, talk, bringing up contracting and we, you and me were kind of talking a little bit about it, uh, earlier today. Um, it, it seems like that's a route where a lot of uh, guys, gals get out of the the armed forces and kind of just, you know, reroute themselves right into contracting.
2: Yeah, I think um, it's it's interesting because in an ideal world you wouldn't do it. You know, you'd go home, you would do all all the stuff that you want to do. But for me, I, I I almost was desperate to get back there for the routine, and I stayed I stayed in contracting for six years. And in some in some ways, I'm glad that I did it because it just I needed to do. It. I needed to go back, do do what I needed to do, and and obviously I went back as a medic and and trained people, which is, um, I suppose, in a way, giving something back to the Afghans. But um, you can't do it forever, so you need to. We need to sort of find something else. But having said that, there's a lot of civilians that go out to um, contracting jobs now. You have a lot of civilians from the US that I worked alongside, for Department of Defense, Department of State. And at the end of the day, if those jobs are there to be had and they're better than the jobs they're offered at home, at least these people are working. Yeah. You know? We can't all get the good jobs at home, so sometimes if that's the life that you choose, then that's that's fine, so long as you do get that sort of to decompress and maybe don't spend too much time in Thailand. I don't know. Yeah.
3: (laughs) 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 <laughs> I mean, do you do you feel we get pigeonholed into that that kind of lifestyle just because of the experiences we had as young adults?
2: I, I think I I certainly did. And I'll be honest. I mean, I I just used to love the routine. I'd go, I do, I train the Afghans in the day. I'd do do PT in the morning, PT. You know, and this sounds quite sad. PT twice a day. Then I, I'd had a really good routine, and I was kind of a bit freaked out to break that because coming home was it was nice seeing my family and things like that, but. Then back into the routine, it just felt normal until I got to a point where I thought, well, I, you know, I need to get I need to actually start to go home now and start to sort myself out. And, yeah. then, and but having said that, you know, I used my time wisely. I wrote a book. I started writing other stuff. So I, I like um, I like the way the military and you two guys are examples of that, about how we use create creativity, you know, in, in, to, in a positive way. So if you have something, we we all did something before we joined the military. And it's quite nice to go back to that.
4: Yeah, it is, but you know, the, the the hard part was transitioning back to it, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Sure.
4: I mean, there wasn't. I I know for the first few years, there wasn't. There wasn't a day that went by where, where I didn't miss miss my job, right? I didn't miss the camaraderie. Um, you know, or yeah. the biggest thing that the, the biggest difference in you know between the civilian world and 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 the military world was you know when when you're when you're working your job and and in the civilian world here, there's a lot of gray area, right? There's a lot of room for gray area, and there's a lot of room for interpretation. And you know, in the military, everything was so so black and white: yes or no, stop or go, yeah. right? You you knew exactly. what you stood.
2: Yeah, and that's and that's almost like um because people think oh, you know, I, I did um my my final tour of Afghanistan was extremely kinetic, and I was one of those. We were stuck in a FOB, but we had no no uh, TVs. You know, it was it was quite um quite a rough tour. We took, you know, several casualties and looking at it, we had, um, you're talking about legacy sort of mines and stuff. And one of our guys, one of our company guys was killed through a Russian legacy mine. And I know that we, you don't really sort of stop to think about it, but then when you do, you realize, you know, I'd spent time in Kosovo and seeing kids sort of maimed and and people are just in, in shit state. And you, and then you see these, these really good um, NGOs that go around and trying to clear these, these mine sites and again, that's quite a worthy cause. And a lot of ex-soldiers go into that sort of business, too. You know, so it's not just always it's, – it's great to get paid well, but they, that's not always the reason they go back, I think, or we go back.
3: Yeah. I, saw, I, I saw a lot of guys just go just because they didn't feel like they had any other option.
2: Yeah.
3: You know, you, you, yeah, you, you come home and the military teaches you like the worst spending and eating habits ever. right so you you come back with these these, you come back with these huge amounts of cash you buy a new car buy a motorcycle drink a ton you know go buy a whole bunch of new clothes go on some adventures and like six months later you're freaking bankrupt and then you know then you then you start looking for a job and most guys don't realize that a job in the civilian world when you're looking for it takes you six months to a year to find one that you can you know, feel good about going through the interview process on deal with the civilian issues, everything else. And, you know, we just, we just kind of get ourselves in this vicious loop Is you know, go out make a whole bunch of money, come home, party it all away. And then when somebody goes, Hey man, you're going to be sucking for the next six months till so you can get a real job, which doesn't pay you as much. Or, Hey, you want to go back to Afghanistan and make a thousand bucks a day?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'll <laughs> go back
3: to Afghanistan and make a thousand bucks a day. I'll get to work out <laughs> twice a day, get three hot meals, you know, yeah, a little danger here and there, but, you know, I could get killed in a, a car accident on the way to work. It's just as likely yeah. I'm going to go back. Right. It's and, been, uh, and you're right. Yeah, that's a challenge. Tra- I've challenges. seen with, like, a lot of guys is they, they just have a hard time breaking that cycle. Um, but and the other end of it, too, you, you see the guys who set goals like, hey, I'm going to go be a doctor. I'm going to go contract for 18 months. I'm going to live on the cheap and save up all my money. But when I get done with that 18 months, I'm going to be able to pay for med school. Right. And so you see it on both sides of it. It just, it depends on what you do with it, I guess, is really the, the point of what yeah. I was rambling on about.
2: No, it's true. And that that is the case. I think if, um and, and what you were saying about the transition, I think that's possibly, we were talking about this at length the other day about there's something missing in the transition, whether it's that we're not getting enough decompression or there's something that just doesn't. And that's possibly one of the reasons that this podcast does so well, because we're trying to build that. We keep saying the same thing, build that bridge so that people potentially can have a yeah a snapshot of what it's like to be a soldier. They're never going to know. They're never going to understand what it's like to be out there, but they can at least potentially understand where people are coming from.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. Griff and I spoke. Uh, and I spoke on a panel at Starbucks. Um, you know, it's interesting to see. Uh, it, the, well, the panel was about transitioning veterans and and retention, right? And 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 turnover and, and some some goals that Starbucks had. Uh, had set out, but at that uh, you know on that panel were were, were some really great companies some and some really great people and and it was it was good to see that um, you know I, I guess corporate America you know collectively coming together and trying to come up with programs help veterans that are transitioning. um that was really, really good to see it, especially um, especially after I got out and and there was there was really nothing like that in place yet, right? you know, the, the wars were still, were still, I guess, fairly young. And, and it, it wasn't the transitioning veteran wasn't such a big, big issue at the time, but, you know, now that, that you have these guys coming out and, you know, a lot of them joined when they were 18. So they get out and you know, they still have to figure out school. They have to figure out what they're going to do for a living. Um, it's really good to see some of these companies just, you know, trying to figure it out for these guys and try and help them stay out of place and, 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 uh, and train them up to, to to progress in these companies.
2: Yeah, definitely. And then they also know with the military, the work the work ethic is kind of second to none. You know, you're oh. going to be on time for your job. You're going to put as much in, in the hours that you're there. You know, you, uh, the military have got a lot to give. You know, when they they don't just sort of stop. They get out of the military and then they just turn to shit. They kind of they have that work ethic, which is actually quite hard to instill into somebody.
4: Yeah, that's true. And they,
2: we have a lot of corporate companies in the UK actually, and they love working with like ex-military. So long as you're, you're focused, but they love the the sort of work that they get out of them because they just get stuff done. They don't, you know, don't moan about it. They they see imp- improved kind of profits and things like that. So it's, I think we're heading in the right direction. There's a lot to be done,
1: but yeah. And yeah. do you go ahead? No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was saying
3: I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but do you? Uh... Is there a rift in between the the transitioning veterans in the workplace and the civilians that didn't go fight when they see the veterans coming in and just working harder?
2: Yeah, you always get. Um, there's always going to be that kind of because you could have a guy that's been in the job ten years but he's not progressing, mm-hmm. and then you could have a guy that's just or girl that's just come out of the military that's of, that's used to working extremely hard. And I'd imagine there's tension, but it's not it's not obvious. I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah I, I've seen it a lot. I've actually seen it a lot in contracting with um, different countries and stuff. They would, um, if they came from a, uh, you know, maybe somewhere like, if they if they came from a country that was slightly unstable at some stage in the past, it would kind of be that's their, their gateway to do things. But everyone does things differently, don't they? So, mm-hmm. I suppose it's just getting used to um, different practices and things like that without source. Of, yeah, slagging off other contractors. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, so you you guys you, you make not only flip flops. You guys have other products available.
3: So flip flops is, is kind of a tongue in cheek right term. So flip flops is a political term. You know, taking a 180 degree stance on a position and. You know, Lee, Lee and I used to both jump out of airplanes and slide out of helicopters and, and do, the, do the deal, thinking that that was the best way to win a war. But now we've gone and said, hey, really, you should be doing business, not shooting each other if you want to win this war. And that's just kind of our mentality on it. And so we're, we're combat flip flops. Like if you if you think that what we're doing is right, you may possibly be a combat flip flop. But, you know, f- literally, we just made a flip flop because it. It works, right? The juxtaposition of the product, the words, and the, the mindset of it, it all kind of works together. But yeah, we're a full-fashioned lifestyle brand.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that um, because a, a lot of the issues in, in a lot of countries that are war-torn or, or have uh, had conflicts in the past that really kind of decimated the region is... You know, a, a lot of the guys who are fighting for the Taliban or fighting for whoever ISIS, that's just what's economically working for them. You know, like they're making more money that way. Uh, it's not that every single one of these guys is a fanatical jihadi, you know? Uh, some, mm-hmm. some of them just have no other options in terms of, you know, how they're going to generate money or, or take care of their family. So like you said, I think it's, it's really something that should be, uh, looked at a little bit more. But, but then obviously, you know, groups like ISIS or the Taliban would really try their hardest to stop any any foreign uh, companies from coming in and, and kind of jumpstarting the economy, you know, because that, that the chaos works to their advantage.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's just really it's at that. Uh, it's at the behest of the people. Right. Um, so I'll, I'll dial this back. So 2008, uh, my buddy Jimmy is a Navy guy, uh, you know, sitting in the talk. Yeah, you know, evening time. All of a sudden, word comes in from a, a IED explosion right next to a military outpost. They swing the the UAV around to watch it, so they're watching it all go down. And so somebody had rolled a a car up to a checkpoint, detonated it, and then a couple more cars roll up, and then they start shooting down the survivors, which consisted of U.S. service members and Iraqi policemen and military. Um, so obviously, they you know they responded as quick as possible. They watched the the vehicles fall going where they're going and they just followed them on the UAV to find out right where they were at. And so they just planted a mission and you know, five, six hours later they're standing on top of the guys interrogating them. You know, why did you do this? Who are you working for? And the guy responds, he's like, look man, I don't have a job. I don't have any other way to take care of my family. I get paid to do this. Right. Because there's no opportunity
2: yeah. for
3: these guys to work. You know, they're going to take the first dollar bills that come their way. And you know, the guy took the job. He took the risk set off a car bomb and shot a whole bunch of service members, he might get away with it or he's going to end up in Abu Ghraib for the rest of his life. That guy would rather take a solid paying job than go put himself at risk like that. And his family would too.
1: Right.
3: But the, the issue is is nobody's going out there and offering these guys an opportunity.
1: Right. And it's, um, it, it's another interesting thing. Like, uh, you know, a, a couple years ago that incident happened where, uh, those Somali pirates hijacked that the U.S. ship and the SEALs jumped in and, and shot the guys. And then mm-hmm. uh, subsequently a movie was made about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's an interesting fact about that is all of those people, a lot of those pirates used to be fishermen. Um, but what ended up happening was all of these big international uh, companies really uh, outfished like so there's like almost no fish left in those waters in in that specific yeah. area so w- what you have now is these natives uh somalians and and they have these chinese corporations these british corporations these american corporations coming in here and and fishing out all of their livelihood like th- that's how they survived that's how they made their money and now they have nothing else to do so you know they have boats i'm sure they have weapons and and things like that so what do they do now they're they're pirating you know they're they're um hijacking boats that are flying flags from these these same countries that decimated w- what they've been doing for generations you know so it's like at in the same breath obviously you don't want them kidnapping um you know british citizens who who have done nothing to them but at the same time you know they have nothing else what would you do in that situation kind of it's kind of an interesting twist you know
2: yeah, and I think, I looked at it, um, this is the same with, with most war zones, apart from, you know, the big wars fought in the past, is that we always, I always feel that, we we always sort of miss a trick when it comes to, I used to hate the term hearts and minds, you know, like everyone else who used to think, oh, that's, that's just bullshit, but a lot of the time, you I know, mean, we never seem to, We never. we've never really understood... The enemy and I think in order to sometimes in the, if it's a bit of an old-fashioned term to beat them you need to understand you need to, to understand what's happening in the country and that's another thing I think soldiers they don't lack this is a, a problem for um, way way above our sort of rank and pay scale is that we don't get enough education on the country that we're going into you know so a lot of people they they go in and, and all they see is right there, there's a guy in a, a dish dash a kameez, however you want to say it that that's the enemy right there, because the problem being with what you've just you know covered, is because they are just ordinary people that turn to, to to sort of form an insurgency to to earn money. You can't really tell the difference between who who's good and who's bad, you know, and that and that creates such a a massive problem. I know in Iraq. I mean, I was I was there in two thousand and three, and then later, in two, you know from two thousand and eleven onwards, but that was the problem there. You know, every, they they were actually initially pleased to see everybody. Because I remember um, rolling down the roads in Badra, and it was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And then it just went to shit. You know, because it's almost like it just changes so quickly. And those people that were waving one minute are then throwing grenades in the next. So, yeah, th- there's a lot to be said for what you're saying. And there are different ways to fight these wars. Someone's typing
1: <laughs> really fast. <laughs> Who's typing? Who's the guilty one?
2: <laughs> uh, someone's someone's on Facebook on the podcast.
3: No, I, I was looking up some stats to to answer a question. Uh, oh to, shit! Go on. Are we all wrong? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was just I was just going over. Like I, you guys cut out there for a second. So uh, people hated the Marshall Plan after World War II. We lost four hundred and sixteen thousand eight hundred Americans during World War II. And then as a nation, we were going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars rebuilding that country, right? People absolutely despised it in America, the thought of spending that much taxpayer dollars to rebuild a country that just, just bombed a crap, but look yeah. what happened, like we created our biggest trading partners. We created this second biggest economy in the world, right? And it created security for our country economically and militarily, right? right? If we were to roll into yeah. these countries and you know, Hey, take out the bad dudes and then roll in with the strongest tool that we have possible which is our economy we would just crush it we would we would help so many people we would put a smiley face on the american flag but instead we continue to ignore the data you know spend these meager amounts of money on these initiatives to win hearts and minds and then just continue to watch the situation devolve it's sad
1: yeah you know it yeah. it's interesting because after world war 2 Well, prior to World War II, America wasn't considered, like, such a superpower yet, you know? And um, so afterwards, it was a different dynamic because now America has nuclear weapons. Everybody's scared of of nukes. Uh, At some point, the Russians developed it, right? And then now you have these big American corporations who are... um, So so I guess shortly after World War II in the 1950s, there was this view that uh, among certain individuals that were in power, um, that Americans are in a position where they should be able to kind of help people around the globe if they need it. But the best way to do that would be to send our best corporations overseas and and, and try and do business with some of these countries. Um, but the, the problem becomes then is there were certain people who were Connected to the high levels of the government, and then connected to some of the richest uh, law firms on the planet, which were involved with, uh, you know, doing major deals for for companies uh, for countries, not just companies, right? Mm-hmm. So now you have American foreign policy is being driven by the interest of private corporations. So isn't it always? Well, <laughs> well, right, right. But th- th- you know, th- th- this is what Did happens. Right, so, so now you have decisions being made by private citizens, and it's de- determining what's going to happen for the entire country. So, you know, I think that's a conflict of interest. I'm sure most Americans do the and, and and but that's just the situation of that's what evolved after World War II. Um,
2: and then, and and also to add, John, they. Um, I think when you cuz your country's always been at class and I remember as a kid you know it's, it's sort of helping people right that's the sort of view that people had of Americans right. but then when you when when some countries that then they distort that view and start getting and I won't say jealousy it's not like school school playground jealousy it's this is this is serious where actually we we want a slice of that pie so what we're going to do is we're going to upset the apple cart and then we're going to pretend to be your friend but really we're going to you know we're going to sort of fund people to disrupt what you're doing because you're that the idea of that is is brilliant but you know we know and we all know that everyone on this podcast most people listening is that there are certain countries that do fund and I'm pretty sure we all do it ourselves but they they fund stuff that goes on under the radar so it kind of um, disrupts any any sort of chance of these things happening which is that's sad too you know because it's almost like and like you say about the corporations, they tend to, they tr contru- to, to them, war war creates money for them. You know, war creates money for a lot of these. You know, especially with weapon technology and stuff like that. And there's, it's almost like a cycle that we get into. And it, a lot of these wars are almost like, um, well, I can't. am trying to think of the phrase when um, research and development, R and D, of weapons and mm-hmm. stuff. And I don't, I don't mean all of it is to do with that, but a lot of it, we've seen it, and we've all probably seen ourselves how weapon systems have changed since. You join to then at the end you've got you know helmets all everything is kind of so and people are making money from that which is I know that we have to develop and I'm obviously happy with better kit but that generates business too so I, do, you're, I like what you're saying and that's a really nice way of using that power but then if you've got someone who's making a lot of money from weapon development and then kit and, kit and equipment development you know it's going to be who gets there first do you see what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, this, the the little line of uh, if there was no profit in the war, there wouldn't be any.
2: Yeah,
1: I right. Understand.
3: That's true. I, I can't remember the stat, and I'm sure somebody will hear a bust me on it. But I think we dropped more munitions over Afghanistan during the first week of the war than we dropped over all of Western Europe during World War II.
2: Which is crazy.
3: And then insane. Just the amount of money that yeah. like, falls. And so the I just I just did a video on it last week. Harvard just put out a research. Um, paper it was, the Americans have spent between four to six trillion dollars on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan there's like a fuzzy two trillion in there somewhere trillion that's, the t- yeah that, that's nuts that's crazy right we could have you know gone to Mars with that money you know we could have yeah. you know figured out sustainable agriculture maybe like cleaned up the Pacific Ocean you know but yeah. instead we spent it on war right? Just, just, right just put it in context <laughs>
2: And yeah. do you know what? You can't. That's the thing. You you can you you can reel those figures off, and in my no. head, I still you still don't. You'll still never know how much that is. Do you do you, do you get me? It's almost but, like because that's money. That's just when it gets to that. When it gets to we reel off these figures, and we all do it. They almost become like oh yeah. And you can say a trillion like it's nothing, but actually, that's a ridiculous amount of money, isn't
3: it? It's a, so the the way it perks down is the American average taxpayer pays like twelve thousand nine hundred dollars in federal income tax annually. 31.3% of that goes to the DOD and veterans' affairs. So yeah. it's average like each person in America, each taxpaying citizen in America pays roughly forty six hundred dollars to currently go wage wars in foreign countries, right? To send their vets home to not really take care of them the way they should when they get back. You pay, as a person, forty six hundred dollars a year for your government to execute that plan.
1: Right. If you really
3: want to break it down.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs>
3: Yeah. No, because because you have, so I'm yeah. glad that you did. <laughs> it's, but you have to put it in context, right? Because I mean, yeah. we're going to vote, we're voting tomorrow, right? Everybody's just like stoked on it. But regardless, is like that problem's not going to change. <laughs> what we're waging wars no, in seven, seven countries. <laughs> Say again? We're not all stoked on it.
4: This is the worst election ever. Yeah. 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 The, I know. Sorry. It's crazy, the, isn't it? So just, <laughs>
2: It's gonna be a. Bit, it's gonna be a big day tomorrow. We, again, we were discussing this earlier, and it's almost. Um, I know. Do you know what? What we just went through with um, the Europe decision was nothing because this is someone who's this is who's going to lead your country. You know that's. It's huge. You know, it's, it's, it's a scary. huge. Um, yeah.
4: It's scary when you look at our options. It, it's. It's. Do you just pencil in none of the above? What do you do?
1: Right. I don't know. I don't yeah. Just, know. just scribble your own name and then put a check mark next to it.
2: <laughs> I th- I thought about it for you guys, and I'm glad it's but, your problem and not mine. But I thought, <laughs> God, the, the the best thing, is in, the you know, you just can to come up with sort of solution, maybe silly solutions. But I thought, God, what if no one voted? What would they do? Well, and I thought, well, no. You know, oh,
4: no. It, you know it, how would it work? It's such a clown show because I, I, it was either last election or the election before. I mean, we had Roseanne Barr on the ballot. Like, she was yeah. on the ballot. Like, what the hell? It, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it
1: was the last one i think so, it
4: was it, and people actually voted for her yeah people
1: voted for her what what she was yeah. she was representing what like the green party or some shit uh,
4: she was representing the party that never ends i mean i have no idea <laughs> <laughs> she was, she represented the party that never ends i mean it was I, I don't even know what she represented it was just all kinds of crazy yeah but, it's,
1: it's 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 wild man
2: She's a, she must be a good age now, Roseanne, right? No? Uh, she yeah,
4: she's well, she, maybe she's pushing sixty.
2: <laughs> oh, not, not too bad.
4: Yeah, I think I'm running next year, uh, next election. Yeah, just
2: just put, just do it. I yeah, might do it. Not. Just say, look, I don't, I don't I don't have an American passport, but I'm just I'm putting my name in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's crazy because this election, like, there's so many things that are happening on both sides of for both candidates that any election before this one would have got them disqualified like it's so crazy that it's like this much shit is happening but like up until the last fucking day you know this scandal this scandal this person said this this person you know investigations and huh. it's just like if this happened any other year all you needed was one of those things and it was over you know
4: uh, yeah, you know we. I, I don't uh, I don't know I, I, I don't know who I'm voting for I, I know I, I, just, I dislike both the candidates right um, but, you know, when, when I see like when I see Clinton questioning the FBI and, and trying to get them to push along an investigation, like, dude, if me and you were under investigation, we wouldn't get we wouldn't get shit out of them until until they were no. goddamn ready, Right. And, yeah. and here she is, you know, and, you know, pushing pushing the U.S. government and, and, and her agenda made made it seem like her bid for the White House superseded any of our procedures or any of our laws. Right. And that's just and that's just that's all kinds of fucked up. It it really is. I mean, um, to me, when I see Hillary Clinton and I hear and I see the things she does and she gets away with, it reminds me of like the old mafia dons. Right. That would go to court. and They were never guilty. (laughs) Always. That's what it reminds me of. It's as as many flaws as Donald Trump has. I mean, it's 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 blatantly obvious um, the power that Clinton has. I mean, Trump is just guilty of being an asshole. Right. But. You know the the mess that that Hillary is, is left behind. I don't know. I, I can go on forever, and it's not going to make any sense to anybody. But, um, <laughs> but,
2: no, but no. it does because you you do have, and that, that's that. The, I think that that's the major problem. Is everybody in that country is, is probably feels the same, and they're going to, you know, they're going to, they've got to go and vote tomorrow. And and I know what I know what I'm like personally. If 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 I, and it's it's just one of those things. Is that you you think you know what Fuck it. I don't if you if because that's how you feel about Hillary and that that's you could feel like that and you can't blame people you can't think oh well we'll just vote just to be safe just in case because he's he's got too much of an orange head and weird uh, hair you know you can't kind of do you yeah, know what I mean it, it's gonna it's, it's gonna be a it, weird day
1: it is you know? and and you know one thing that is bothering me and and I, I, I Trump's
2: wasn't,
1: tan no yeah right and the uh, spray on tan um, I, I wasn't gonna. <laughs> You should have
2: been on Jersey Shore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or one of ours, The Only Way is Essex. Get yourself on there, Trump. You'll be cool.
1: Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because now there's like a, a percentage of people, and, and I'm saying this like on Facebook. I haven't seen anybody in person or heard anybody saying these kind of things. But on Facebook, like a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, if, you know, if Clinton gets elected, then I guess, you know, we should start, a, you know, like an armed revolution. and. You know, and and look, I, I get it. People feel how they feel about her and, um, you know, all that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, our Constitution, for the most part, is still in, in place. And it's not like, you know, the guns haven't been taken away, you know, where you still get read your Miranda rights. You know what I mean? Like this, our safety net is still there. So it's like, what would be, what would we, you know we vote against just because your candidate didn't get elected. You know, I feel like that's highly irresponsible. And I, I, uh, I saw an article earlier today that's, uh, from Buzzfeed that showed like there's a town in Macedonia somewhere. And these, like these group of Macedonian teenagers are putting out this Trump propaganda and they have no connections to Trump. It's just that their, their articles are getting shared so much in the United States that they're actually making a, a, full-time salary off of making up shit and posting it online. And it's, it's just sad that that's where we're at right now, you know?
4: Well, you know, like, like, you know, you said about the, the guy, the the people that are putting out the, the revolution talk, right? Um, you know, I, I hear that. And, and, and for me, I, I, I don't want to say it's not, it's, it, I don't want to say it's, it's not irresponsible, right? Because anytime you talk like that, that's, that's, that's serious talk, right? But yeah. um, if you look at, if you look at the exceptions that these people have gotten and the things that they get away with and the way you or I would be treated if we were in similar circumstances, right? Or if we were, if we had, if, if we were suspected of of committing similar crimes, right? As, as an American, I would have been in jail a long time ago and they would have just, they would have thrown away the key and forgot about me. It's simple, right? Um, I think, I think that is that's where that sentiment is coming from, where we see somebody like, you know, I, I keep I keep banging on Hillary here because she's been in the in you know she's been in the spotlight you know for for God knows how long now you know since, since Bill was in office, but um, you know you you see the things and, and you hear the things that 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 she you know allegedly did or, or or she got away with, right? I'm I'm not sure how much of it is fact or or, or whatever, but you know you hear the exceptions that are made for her. And, and for her campaign and, and for her to win and have this top slot. Right. It's it's very discouraging for somebody like me that, uh, you know, that I believe in the American way of life. Right. I, I, you know, once America was the light of the world and everybody loved us and wanted to be us. But now, you know, somewhere along the, along the way, we've lost our way. Right. And, and to me, she you know, she's a symbol of, of kind of us losing our way. Right? Does that make sense? No, no I agree. It does agree. make sense. And, and
1: yeah, I think that's where uh, I, I think you kind of summed up what how people feel. Obviously, you know, people have like something specific that sticks out more to them that that you know kind of rubs them in the wrong way. But to be honest, and and, and you know, to kind of you know look at everything in the full picture. In my view, Donald Trump is the same thing. It's just he wasn't in public. Service, you know, he 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 was the same type of person just in in the public in the private sector because, you know, there are a lot of billionaires and, and really rich people who haven't been sued by the you know by the state department who haven't you know have all these allegations and things come out of them and and look I'm a native New Yorker you know so and you know whenever you thought of Trump you just think of like this kind of rich guy you know um you From know, New York <laughs> right right so but. You know, and, and he's donated money to Democrats and Republicans. So, like, to me, when I see him, it's like, you know, he obviously certain things are true and it doesn't matter, you know, just because this person has this flaw doesn't mean that what they're saying isn't true, right? So, I, you know, we understand that much. But at the same time, I feel like Trump was similarly unethical, just not – he was just a private citizen, you know? So, Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it, it just – it. it that's why it's so crazy because I legitimately I'm not hundred percent sold on who I would vote for, and it's the night before, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah.
3: So I have so, to ask, like uh, right? I, have uh, to- I, I I I want to get a second out of this when you guys get down here. I want to I, want to, get, I want to get a shot <laughs> at the title here. I have. So I have to ask this this question, right?
4: Um. So is is it worth getting rich by being an asshole in the private sector, or being rich while you're supposed to be a public servant? like serving in a in a in a a position of power in our government what's worse right uh you you get you get the question so you know he trump got rich being an asshole and 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 doing business in the in 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 the private sector right right well hillary got rich while while she was in government what's worse
1: right right no no no. Uh, It's, it's, it's it's bad it's bad news and and you know like i said before like you know, even the last election where it was Obama versus, um, Romney, if any of this stuff came out about either candidate, it would have been like, all right, who, who's going to step up and, and, uh, be the candidate, you know? And it's like, since, um, since Obama was elected, the, you know, I mean, I'm not that old. I'm only 28, but I, I've never seen, um, such a hostile political landscape i mean and like i said maybe i'm I'm just i have no idea what the fuck i'm talking about but it's been pretty um like you know i i believe there was a time in the past where politicians could disagree and kind of come to the middle and compromise and and trying to do something that works for everybody and now it's just like far left or far right and almost nothing in between like the middle gets drowned out you know
4: it's a good old boy club that's what it is And it's a good old boy club and and they're trying to keep the outsider out. That's, I mean, that's one way to look at it, I guess.
2: And and I think as well, the way the media have now got control. I mean, they've got, and I'll sit in the UK and you guys know this exactly the same. They've got so much control over everything.
1: Right.
2: I mean, and they, they, you know, the, the stuff that they're sort of, they fire. And, and this is the thing with the media with all these things going on is they'll have these huge hideous headlines and then when it's, it's proved to be wrong or something like that, and I don't, I'm not talking about Hillary, I'm talking about anything, there'll be a tiny little, tiny little sort of paragraph that no one sees right. apart from the people that actually read yeah. the broadsheets. And, them, right? Because they don't yeah. care because they get to sell yeah, exactly. those numbers yeah. to advertisers
3: yeah. based on their headlines. Good, they make yeah. so much money off of it.
2: But yeah. they look at our numbers. Yeah. It scares me how much control the media have now. You know, Even over like politicians making decisions for their countries, right. the media are kind of swaying who does what? And I just, I th-
1: it's ridiculous. Well, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword and it's like, you know, where ev- everybody's connected at all times, you know? Um, Cause now there's so much, you know, like you, you, people are on their phone all day, you know, or you're at work, you're on your computer yeah. or you're at home, you're on your computer. And there's so much connectivity. And, and like you said, you know, that they're, they're making money, so they don't care. And, and that's like going back to those, you know, there's a group of Macedonian teenagers Making you know eighty thousand a year, hundred thousand a year, just making shit up and and posting it on Facebook, and um, it, it's it's a double edged sword because it's good that you know you can connect to people that you've never been able to connect to before through the internet and through things like that. But at the same time, you know, good information is out there, but bad information is also out there. You know,
4: when I want my news, when I want when I want real news, I, I always end up going to the BBC.
1: Do you? Yeah, yeah. And, and
2: and even they're they kind of getting a bit wayward on some things, but I mean they're not too bad. I, yeah. it's,
4: it's but it's not CNN or Fox, right, or MSNBC, right? Yeah, like I, I mean, I I I go on there and I, and I just see it. It's 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 a fresh set of eyes, right? It's not I'm
2: yeah.
4: uh, not trying to sway anything. You know, no, you, I know
2: you, I know what you're saying. Yeah, CNN right. is sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just gonna say it's like actual you when you see actual journalism, you're like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like I can get information without an opinion or, or without it being slanted a certain way, you know? Yeah. usually I
2: mean, people cutting around in a flak jacket, and a helmet,
1: <laughs> like real reporting.
2: Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, um, you know, we saw during, during the debates, you know, when, when it was, when I, I don't remember who did the, who, what CNN anchors did the last one. I think it was Anderson Cooper and somebody else. Um, but, you know, the, the, the candidate, well, Trump was trying to answer questions and, and they were attacking him, right? It was, it, it seemed like they were attacking him. Like he, it was almost like he was debating three people, right? I just, that, that, that
3: kind of makes it hard for me to, to trust what, what they put out. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just reading something from the Daily Mail, uh, UK said, so oh, just, just released 8,263 emails showing the DNC helped CNN anchors for the interviews during the debates. Yep.
2: See, so yeah, so there you go.
3: It's crazy. It's It's nuts, nuts.
2: isn't it? And and,
3: and so like, you know, I I figure I want to get a a few seconds here on on the mic. But, uh, you know, I think Lee Lee stated it first. and That's my main problem is how do you become a multi, multi, multi multi-millionaire while serving as a public servant? And the only logical solution for that is pay to play. That's it. That's all there is to it. There's there's no other way around it. You cannot be a, a politician who doesn't actually do real work or create anything without selling yourself for decisions and votes. Like there's no way around it. Um, going back to Trump's Trump thing, like any American business can donate money to policymakers that are gonna be good for business. When it really comes down to it, winning elections is down to marketing. So the more money you have to market yourself better, the more likely you are to win. And that's, I mean, it's kind of the deal in America is if you want your guy to win, cause he's gonna further your interest, which people are doing just in their everyday lives with Democrat or Republican, right? Business owners do it with congressmen and senators. It's just kind of the way it works, right? So Trump has been known to do that, to afford his business ideals. Um, but I think both of them have like a, a super, super big double standard, right? Which most Americans would be, not be held accountable to. At uh, least Lebo said it. Yeah, yeah. like both and of them. Just
2: out of interest, so this is like for me to all of you, if you if you could have who, like who's out there, and they're obviously not in the race now, but who's out there that you think – could would have potentially have you know stopped all this sort of nonsense, if um, if someone has sort of stood up. I mean, I, I personally had thought of someone like Colin Powell, someone that's is 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 quite a good statesman. I don't really know if um, how he's perceived. Obviously, he's a, a war veteran and it's quite a, a very bright guy. What um, what are your thoughts it, it's on who you would have
1: thought? Yeah, you know, see, part of the problem is is. Um, over the last i don't know 20 years or whatever maybe a little longer um certain people kind of get and and you see it with hillary you know with the, with the emails are released the dnc yeah. had already chosen her like it, it was no it was a no brainer she was who they wanted to represent the democratic party right so i think you kind of have a lot of that on both sides where maybe this year trump was kind of the exception um but to me the the republicans for the last 2 uh, elections have very weak candidates. Um, so I think Trump came along. No one was taking him serious at, at first. And then before you know it, each debate on the Republican side, he's watching the flow of everybody. And and he has all this, um, you know, all this buzz around him. And, and I think that's what, you know, Trump appeals to a certain demographic because of that, because he wasn't, you know, kind of the pre- Predetermined guy, you know, and he just came in and just like.
2: And he has no filter in some ways. I know this sounds, I'm not a massive fan of Trump, but the fact he has no filter makes him almost refreshing. And I don't mean that in the God knows what he would be like, but I'm just saying that he, he, and he's obviously a very clever guy in his business sense, but he does, he says shit that's really bad. And so that kind of says that. He's just
4: saying what everybody's thinking. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So at least he's not. And i this isn't me, this isn't me saying vote for Trump. I'm just saying that he, at least when he talks, you know, that it's not kind of made up. He's not, you being, know, someone's, you know,
4: you know what was, what was interesting to me after the first debate, uh, well, during the first debate, when he, when he kind of went up there and he said, and everybody gave, you know, everybody, all the, uh, it was the, it was the Republican debate and he goes up there and everybody's giving him, giving him shit for, uh, for donating to Clinton. Right. And and what I what I really liked when he answered it was you know when he said yeah I gave her money but I gave her money because when I needed something I picked up the phone and called her and she answered
1: yeah right that, that was smart
4: and, and then but what I really what I really liked is what he said after that when he said and I've given most of you on this stage money
1: <laughs> yeah
4: <laughs> and every and, and there was a couple people that didn't get any money but they're like you know it, it was it was one of those moments where. Where you hope that if he if if he gets elected, you hope that he goes in and he starts pointing out all these guys like, oh yeah, you're not passing this because you took money from these guys. You're not passing this because you took money from these guys. I'd really like to see somebody do that. Yeah, yeah I really would to go in there and just bust out all these guys that are that are taking money, you know, from these from these uh, private companies.
1: Yeah, it, you know, it, it's really unfortunate that it's gotten to this point where, um, you know, wh- whoever has the most most money can really influence things. Um, but there, there was a uh, – hold on, let me see.
2: Oh, just while John's checking something, you you might be able to help me. Now, I I never really understood what the college vote meant. Now, just correct me if I'm wrong. Does that mean everybody votes tomorrow, but it still has to go to a college vote? So, therefore – What happens? So so say say if everyone votes tomorrow and I don't randomly, Hillary wins. Or wins that vote. What happens then? What's the college vote about?
4: I have you know what
3: I live here and I have no idea. (laughs) People people keep saying
2: it, and I'm like,
3: so no one. it's it's the electoral college. So it's a system that's stated. So it's not a simple majority. It's each state gets a certain number of votes based on population size and districts. Okay. Um, and so, like, it's it's one by district, and so you could actually have a majority of the population vote in in favor of one candidate, but because of the mm-hmm. electoral college, it could work where your votes turn out in favor of the other candidate. And it's right, yeah, that's it's a super complicated that. Yeah. system that exactly really needs to be reworked. Period. That's
2: obviously why I've not read up on it because it was obviously super complicated, and I've just sacked it off after page one. Yeah, well, did,
4: <laughs> that's what happened with Al Gore, isn't it? Didn't he get the popular vote, but Bush won the the uh, electoral
3: vote? I don't know. Uh,
4: I think that's what happened to Al Gore.
1: Oh wow! Yeah. So uh, another, um, really, what, what I view is, and I think a lot of people view this as an issue, but um, so there is a uh, there was a case, uh, and is Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission is a U.S. constitutional law and corporate law case dealing with the regulation of campaign spending by organizations. Um, So the United States Supreme Court, in a vote, they voted that uh, freedom of speech prohibited prohibited the government from restricting independent political expenditures by a nonprofit corporation. So basically, uh, because of that ruling, it it opened the floodgates for people to spend money on, on to buy elections, essentially. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people, are, one of the, the concerns that people have is that if Hillary wins, she's going to be able to appoint liberal Supreme Court justices, right? Um, and, and then uh, further would say, you know, they're going to try and circumvent the Second Amendment and that kind of thing. But at the same time, uh, the Supreme Court, the um, Citizens United—that's conservative. So, cons- uh, sp- a very small group of conservatives opened the floodgate for elections to be bought. Um, and and I don't I don't see too many people talking about that. So that's a major problem because if that was overturned, then you know these humongous corporations or special interest groups or you know billionaires couldn't just win elections. You know, um. So at the same time, maybe a, a guy like Trump, who like I said, just kind of um, you know, bulldoze his way in there, and uh, you know, maybe something like that is kind of an alternative to the Citizens United ruling, which allows people to kind of get pre pre selected uh, for president. You know,
2: I've had a vision there of Donald Trump coming in like a wrecking ball on that big <laughs> thing Miley Cyrus is on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he's he's clothed in my vision. He wasn't half naked. Yeah. No, it's 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 a sad state of affairs, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I'll say is if wh- whoever gets elected, I hope that they do the right thing. You know. You got
2: you got two hopes there, John. Yeah. Bob, hope and no hope. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: but no, I think as well. So we should probably get back to the combat flip flops because we've gone off on a tangent, haven't we?
3: Oh yeah, it's it's the political tangent. I'm glad we could do yeah. that in a very positive way because most yeah, of the times nice. you can't have it. <laughs>
2: People yeah. are kicking, it. and maybe because we're all in separate areas, people are by this stage normally kicking off, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> because it just like I'll, I'll talk about the UK with them, um, the Brexit things. People were literally falling, you know, fighting, falling out. Like friends would, parents weren't speaking to kids, and all sorts of stuff. It was quite, <laughs> That's it was quite funny. Yeah, it was going on. It was really, it got out of control, but you know. You can you can see with these things if so whatever happens. I think if you have stuff needs to change, doesn't it? For you guys, especially at the top, you need to have that. They can't keep doing what they're doing because all that's going to happen is America's just going to be at war forever with the way these cycles, these politicians sort of. And I don't even like to use the term rape, but kind of raping their own countries for their own benefits. So well, I, I I hope the, it changes for the better. The
4: problem yeah, the, the problem the, with America is that we're all we're all satisfied posting snazzy shit on facebook and you know how we're pissed off and how we don't like it anymore but that's where it all stops you know in you know in, in the days of martin luther king in the you know 40s 50s 60s there was you know our our, our parents would get up and go get the streets in march and, and right. yeah they would right. but you know I'm just as guilty of it as anybody, you know, I just, I go on a Facebook and say, you know, fuck this, fuck this, this is stupid, you know, and, 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 and <laughs> I rant over and, and, and nothing done about it. But, you know, if, if we would, if we would get off our collective asses and, and, you know, and, and do what needs to be done take to the streets, whatever it is, March, uh, protest, whatever. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, that it needs to start there, but sitting at home on Facebook and Instagram is, is not going to
3: change anything. Right. So, just, yeah, I think still... we're all just kind of in the Coliseum right now, just thanks to iPhones and computers. Right. right? And we're, we're focused on yeah. the show and the battle and we're just not realizing that our country is sinking. Like the big three is war entitlements and healthcare and everybody's focused on the person in the ring and not the real issues that are going on. And that's, that's going to be the challenge working through it is when we all figure out it's really not the person, it's the policy. Like, you know,
1: what are we going to do about it? Right. right. It's a challenge. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's the system, man. It's the system.
2: And sometimes maybe we need to go through that stuff. You know, but all of us do. You need to kind of every, every sort of generation needs to kind of realize what they stand for. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, and you they, know, it, yeah. you know, like I was saying before, like post world war two, you know, kind of a, the, the world that just changed in a major way. Right. But, you know, b- before that, it's like, you know, we, we were talking on the last episode, Chantel, uh, with, um, Tyler Gray and Tim Kozak. And, you know, we we're talking about how, like, in, if you want to go, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands, of, uh, hundreds of years or thousands of years back into the past, how a lot of these warrior cultures, the, the population of civilians really supported the, the war fighters. Um, but now it's, it's kind of different. Uh, in, in some cases, I mean, in the United States and the UK and other countries, they have big support networks of civilians who, who support the military and servicemen, but, uh, you know, then there's a, a huge population that doesn't, you know, and and part of it is because, you know, at, at the end of the day and, and, you know, not too many people who are kind of involved in the military community say things like this. But all you have to do is do the research and you'll see that, you know, post World War Two, a lot of the conflicts that we got into were driven by a very small group of people who had special interests in this specific region, and 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 that's really a conflict of interest, and and I think that's part of why the 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 view of the United States has fallen in in some of uh some of the world.
2: Yeah, and it's it's almost like the, it's it's not the the it's not the sort of effect it had well their opinion of war fighters hasn't necessarily changed. It's the policy that sent them right, there, isn't right.
1: it? Right, exactly. It's, it's not so yeah. much the soldier itself, but it's, it's, right, it's what's happening, you know, prior to that, you know, why is it happening and, and that sort of thing.
2: Yeah, for sure. And we, we were sort of happier with less, don't you think? Even, like, before the Great Wars and people were just happier with less stuff. But now it's, yeah, I think just society as a whole needs a little bit of a shake-up. I don't know yeah. how... Maybe we'll start with some combat flip-flops. What about, are you going to have people wearing socks for those flip-flops?
3: <laughs> that is strictly forbidden. <laughs> strictly forbidden. The only Yeah, I'm going to do
2: is... that. I'm going gonna, gonna to buy a pair. I'm going to put socks on, and then I'm going to post it on Instagram. So this uh, is you, how the you, combat going to be RFS, <laughs> <the>
3: Standards. <laughs>
2: socks and Crocs, it works.
3: Oh, no. Ah. Can you hear my heart breaking from from here? So, so <laughs> let me tell you this,
4: right? I, I came to the guys earlier this year, right before we, we went into fall, and I said, Hey guys, I got an idea for a product. We gotta we gotta <laughs> We got to make a sock for the flip flops, like the old ninja ones, the Japanese ones with the split toe.
2: Yeah, yeah. I said,
4: winter's coming and we're a seasonal product. We need to make a sock for our flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> and Griffin, our other partner, Andy, pretty much told me, like, are you? They asked me, are you fucking crazy? Like, that's a sin, you know? Yeah. So.
2: What other what stuff do you make? What, have you got clothing lines? How? Tell us more about that, in, you, you know, are you going to sort of? Are you really going? Are you aiming to go global? What What are your sort of plans with it? We're planning uh, over the world. Yeah, and then one yeah. of you two can run for president.
4: I'm running next election. I call. <laughs> I'm running against.
3: Uh, I'll be your oh, VP. Oh God! I got it. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, uh, we, right now we're we're going to do about anywhere between five to six hundred percent growth this year um as a small company so we're working to yeah really like you know drive forward on our team we're really working to reinvest um you know back into into growing the product line and it's just so tough right because yeah you you don't know what people want like it's gonna be cool and every time you do something you have to buy tooling and colors and materials and so we're really trying to do our best to to pick winners for people because right now we're not at a phase where we can pick losers
2: yeah and And, and you've also you've got a massive market to compete with haven't you that's I think your backgrounds kind of lend itself, and the stuff that you've done, the the, the story of how it came about, is it lends itself to your product, which is a good thing. You know, it's not like you just two random blokes who said, "Hey, we'll just go to Afghanistan and do this stuff." You know, at least at least you've got a backstory, and, and with it being a veteran-owned business, I hope that the veteran community worldwide supports that.
3: Yeah, I mean, they've they supported us from the beginning. They're our number one customer base. Yeah, yeah we we have yet to put flip-flops and all of our veteran brothers and sisters. So if you're listening to this and you, if you don't have a co- pair of combat flip-flops, you're wrong.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're failing. You're failing the country. You're failing yeah. in your duties to the country.
3: <laughs> Elevate your feet and your, your Chinese made flip-flops and then do some push-ups <laughs> and then go to combat flip-flops. And hey, we should give a coupon while we're here. Uh, we'll do a 20% off coupon. Uh, Global recons. the coupon. Expires at the end of the month. Awesome.
2: Well, can I use that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool
1: <laughs> all right so if, if um so if anyone in the audience wants to check you guys out uh either social media or you know where can they go to keep up to date or where can they go to check out your products
3: uh combat everything's at combat flip flops instagram twitter facebook soundcloud it's all at combat flip flops
1: all right cool so that's that's pretty simple it's the same thing um you know i, I highly recommend everyone check it out I have a pair in my house. My brother ordered a pair because um, he saw you guys on Shark Tank, and he's like, "Yo, these these are fucking badass. Check these out." Have you heard these guys? And I'm like, "Yeah, actually, I have. It's pretty cool, you know." And um, you know, so maybe it, you need to introduce some flip flops with some weapons inside them. That'd be quite cool because you get those ones. No, but you get
2: those ones with the bottle openers and things like that. So that, that's your next idea. May make a flip flop shoot. Flip-flop how about that? With the
3: <laughs> stuck in <it>? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be great going through TSA. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, It'd be cool though.
3: Yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, anyway. So, what else you guys want to talk about? We we talked about you know politics and flip flops. What else do we want to cover while we're here? Yeah.
2: Um,
3: we could talk about how sexy I am, Griff. <laughs> So there's no, there's no limit to that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I
2: man. That's a really good, like tumbleweed, verbal tumble. Covered, <laughs> podcast. And that's the problem. See with these podcasts, because they're just sort of, John does um, sort of minor editing, but someone had um, commented on uh, my Facebook page and said, you know, I loved it because you were just all fucking around. And like, so it didn't, we didn't sound professional at all, but they really, I think they like that people just come on in and, and that you're, kind of yourself you know you don't have to that's quite refreshing actually
1: yeah it's, it's a new thing you know it's like radio typical radio it's like you you have to be on at a certain time to catch it um
2: yeah you know
1: the 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 host yeah they they drive and and kind of uh direct where the show is going but at the end of the day they have their corporate um bosses you know that that are really going to define what's going to happen and, and i think with podcasts why it's so popular these days is it's the individual is, you know, setting the tone. And, and I think people, you can hear that and, and people appreciate it, you know?
2: Yeah. And then it's like awkward silences of the new black, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, In the right. podcast. See, I'm sad. <laughs> I've, had one. I've had about five. I'm like that. Right? I'm just waiting for <laughs> It's delayed. There's, the there, there's another one. <laughs> yeah,
3: like... we're going to reel really out a go. <laughs> Dead air. I wonder how the sports commentators do it. They just keep going know. and going and going and yeah. going. Vince yeah. Scully, man. That was the greatest.
4: That guy
2: was the greatest. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, so there you go. So what about sports? What? But this was um, something um, I was chatting with a few guys in the UK about how uh, military always have a really good, healthy affiliation with sports and teams. It's almost like… That's that's where you're sort of recruited from those areas that that type of do you know what I mean they you know you've always, you're always affiliated to some sport for you guys baseball
1: American football yeah you know it's other interesting. stuff in, uh, oh. in Somalia this is like a, a I guess it's kind of a Ranger thing uh, in Mogadishu in '93 the um I I think it was the uh, the commander the Ranger commander on the ground and he and, and you'll see this in the movie and uh, if you watch uh, Black Hawk Down where he's given like football analogies to kind of get the guys uh, amped up. Do you guys remember that?
3: Yep. He was a big football player. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah.
4: yeah. No, I'm, hey, big in, I- I'm big into baseball. <laughs> my, my whole life is, uh, my, my kids both play travel baseball. So um, all oh, nice. year long, I'm at, I'm, I'm at the park every weekend or I'm at two parks every weekend. You know, usually my kids are playing like Three to five games a weekend on top of you know three practices a week, so that's kind of my life. Um,
3: that and the Dodgers, yep, oh, cool, sweet. So, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, Christmas. Hey, if you guys don't know, I'm going to do some, some shameless promotional plugs here while we're on the global recon yeah. podcast, but Go ahead, we got uh, the 25 days of Christmas coming up. So we got a bunch of rad companies from the tactical industries, sog Strike Strikeforce Energy, 30 Seconds Out, um, Wild Things Gear. Like a whole bunch of people are kicking in, but we're going to be doing a giveaway every day uh, via Combat for Floss. And it's it's you get a $25 gift card and then a pile of crap from people in the industry. You're going to say pile of crap, pile of stuff. <laughs> um, so it's going to be a, a really big giveaway. Uh, you get more points, so the more you tweet it, share it on Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that, you get more chances to win. Um, so it'll be a really cool thing, so just pay attention for that because we're going to have a lot of stuff that we're giving away here over the next month.
2: Are you guys on? Is that Griff talking? Are you on Facebook, you guys, as in the company-wise?
3: I don't even know if you yeah. guys are still there. Yeah.
4: combatflipflops.com/ slash uh, – sorry, Great. Facebook.com slash flipflops
1: Great. Yeah, so just um, when you guys are posting that, when that's starting, uh, you can either hit me up or just tag me in one of your, your social media posts and I'll, I'll repost it, man. So
3: yeah, you guys you guys just chime
2: back in there. I lost you there for a second. Yeah, same for me. If you um if you tag <laughs> in yep. mission out mission critical, um and then we'll repost obviously get it out of there for the, this coming um Christmas. Everyone will oh. be cutting around in Christmas and flip flops.
1: Yeah, or or the revolution will start. And war we'll flip-flops.
2: All right, I thought you meant the revolution of socks and flip
1: flops. Oh no, 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 man, this is it's going down, man. Tomorrow's the election. <laughs>
3: oh
2: man! So, <laughs> first world problems, guys. That's how it is. Yeah. That's how it is on the podcast, you know.
3: It's either you know flip flops and socks, or just full on armed complex in revolution. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: we just don't know where, what's happening to us. There's going
1: to be paintings of guys in uh, flip flops and socks. Uh, charging hills and shit like that, man. Not if
3: I have anything to do with it, I'm gonna shoot
0: first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cool. been a pleasure talking to you guys. Well,
3: thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you as well.
1: Yeah. Um. So thank yeah. Yeah. No problem. And thank you guys for coming on, man. I know you. You guys are doing great work. Um. Uh, it's a bit unique in in how you're getting things done in different countries. Uh. I think it's great stuff. And um. You know, if you guys ever want to come back on, just hit me up, man. Awesome. All right, man. Peace.
3: Thanks, hey,
1: Okay. Vote. Later. Interesting conversation with the guys from Combat Flip Flops. Um, actually, the way I, I've – so I, I was, like, aware of them and f- kind of followed them on social media, but my, my older brother uh, ordered a pair of their flip flops – and, and he's like, yeah, I just saw this cool company on, on Shark Tank. It's a show over here in the U.S. that kind of highlights businesses. And he's like, I, I, you know, I ordered this pair and, I, you know, a pair of flip-flops and I have it. You know, it's, it's made and, uh, you know, overseas and all this cool shit. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And, um, and then last night I told him when we got off, I was like, yeah, I just did a podcast with combat flip-flops. And he points out his feet and he was wearing wearing the flip-flops, you know, so it's pretty cool stuff.
2: I've got a question, John, was he wearing socks?
1: He was not.
2: (laughs) I'm (laughs) going to, I'm going to make that, I'm going to order, well, I'm going to order a pair because obviously it's it's a veteran owned business and that's, that's really cool. And it's great to support them. And and what they're doing, I like, I like some of their ideas. Actually, I like, I like the idea of potentially when a place is secure of trading with them. you know, obviously the caveat of that is trying to make the place secure but um, I think that that's it's pretty cool and um, and the thing is about especially about a place like Afghanistan and all those in that sort of region um, the materials and stuff they use you can get some pretty cool things you know yeah. and I don't know I think, I think it'd be quite it's, it's a really nice idea and and the promos that they do are, re- are really cool and they've obviously given us a promo here yeah so that's that's cool too but yeah re- really interesting guys to talk to
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, almost forgot to mention that. Uh, they have a promotion for the rest of this month. Um, when you're checking out on their website, uh, combatflipflops.com, just enter the code global recon and you will get a discount. Uh, and, and that's good for the end of November. So be sure to check them out on their website, uh, combatflipflops.com, the same handle for all their social media accounts.
2: Yeah, and as a, as it's coming up to the sort of festive period, if there's if there's anything that you know listeners of the podcast want to uh, to talk about or to hear some people talk about, then you know feel free to message on any of those um, social media accounts. And that's what it's about, really, isn't it? It's about us just coming on, chatting to people, and then trying not to to filter things or, or water it down. Um, and obviously, it keeps us operational on the podcast. That if we keep these keep these things turning turning over, if people are enjoying them.
1: Right, and um, and for so like Chantel said, you can hit us up on any of those social media handles. But also, if you know if you want to write an email, you can email directly to podcast at globalrecon dot net. And you know, I, I read all the emails, so I'll definitely respond to you uh, if you hit me up there. Um, Chantel Taylor is on Instagram at mission underscore critical. Uh, her Facebook. Account is battle worn, the memoir of a combat medic in Afghanistan. Uh, check her out there as well. My that's
2: just how much, obviously, that's how much I hate social media, John. Exactly. I'm just there, I'm, every, I'm everywhere. And then, oh, this is a good one. If you can, if you buy the flip flops, this is where just in time for Christmas, you could, uh, if you double that with a pair of socks, we could make that happen. Maybe go. that can be like the new thing, like Crocs and socks, and Crocs and socks, <laughs> uh,
1: get your, sam- your samurai socks. <laughs>
2: Yeah, just cut around and, and let it go. Let, a pistol in your pants, <laughs> flip-flops and socks. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong?
1: Exactly. <laughs> um, so my website is globalrecon.net. Face- my Facebook account is FB Recon. My Instagram is IG Recon. That's my first account. The second account is Black Ops Matter. Uh, once in a while, I hijack Chantel's account on Mission Critical and post cool stuff there. Um,
2: That's because you hate social media as
1: well, Joe Yes, it's it's horrible And (laughs) I I hate the internet also So um, my Twitter account is IG Recon On LinkedIn, just search Global Recon As always, be on the lookout for the next episode We have an interesting guest who will come on And we're going to talk a bunch of um, cool stuff And kind of hopefully we can open some people's eyes To certain things that are happening In a specific part of the world um, and, you know, as always, I encourage you guys to download, subscribe, like the podcast, share it with your family and friends so that we can remain at the top of the iTunes government and national categories on uh, iTunes. And uh, with that, we'll see you guys in a couple of days. Peace.